Would you take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 13? We'll be there in just a moment together. This last week, um, I was listening to Pastor Rex share uh, a very powerful message at Arbutus Zimmerman's home going. And my mind got to thinking as Pastor Rex was, was preaching what had just been shared about Arbutus's life and the different things that she had witnessed. They list the different presidents that she had lived through. They list the different inventions that took place in her life. They listed all these other things. And as we were hearing what it means to be a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to live a life that is truly well lived, it became evident that Arbutus was on the long journey. It wasn't just a short race, it was a long race. Now, if you're new around uh, Grace Point, you may not know Arbutus. I only had a chance to get to know her for a few years before she went on to heaven, but she reached her 102nd birthday before the Lord took her home. That's a pretty good long race. I don't know about you, I don't know what you anticipate your life race to be in length of years, but uh, for me, I'd say that's a pretty good long life. And tonight, I want to share... As I talked about this morning, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? And I challenged us, I dared us to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And when we understand what the Bible tells us about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, when we confess, when we repent and believe his good news, and when we begin to live and follow Jesus, live for Jesus and follow him, that's just the start. That's not the end. That's not the the capstone. That is just the beginning of this race. And, and I believe that God wants us to finish strong. And I want us to look at what it means to finish strong and to stay the course through life's obstacles. And as I was thinking through this message, I, I couldn't help but think uh, about Arbutus. She finished strong. She lived through many different obstacles. And, and I want us not just to think about Arbutus' life tonight. In fact, I really want us to think about our life. And, and whenever it was that you crossed that line of faith and you repented and you began to believe, put your trust on Jesus Christ, there are many, as I look at you in this room, who it's been years, decades ago that you first started the race of following Jesus. But it's, it's not the call just to start the race. It's not the call just to to believe, and to, to put your trust in him at one point, but it's to live our life following him. But you don't have to live 102 years to figure out that there come seasons of life. Pastor Edgar talked about a season of, of maybe busyness or a lot of even good stuff. How many of you know what it's like to have good stress? You've had good stress in your life. You know, bad stress, we know what that is, but sometimes even good things can be stress on us, and, and there is obstacles in life. How do we stay strong? How do we finish well through all the seasons of our life? I believe this passage of Scripture, it's not the only place that can teach us about this. It's surely not just the definitive place, but it is one more example of what it means to be on the lifelong journey. It's not this short race. It's the long-distance journey that God has called us to. Listen to Steve Farr's words from his book, Finishing Strong. Steve Farr writes, The Christian life isn't a hundred-yard dash. It's a marathon. It's a long race, and a long race doesn't require speed. They require grit, determination, and finishing power. 
Endurance is the fruit of godly character. But what he's saying to us is that this isn't how fast you can go. This isn't how talented you are. This isn't how much flash you have. But it's about staying the course over the long haul that Jesus is most concerned about when he calls us to be his followers. I don't know if you've ever been a part of anything that's endurance. Maybe it's a long bicycle race. Don't talk to you too much about that. Maybe for you it's endurance through some physical pain. Maybe it's endurance through raising kids. Maybe it's endurance through 102 years of life. But you will find that there are obstacles. And it requires something that would call us to go further and farther than just what feels comfortable. 2 Timothy 2.12 tells us, If we endure, we will also reign with him. In other words, it takes more than just a casual commitment to finish well as a Christian. Only those who endure to the end, Scripture tells us, will reign with Christ. So let's learn a few things tonight as we look at Acts chapter 13 and what it means to endure well, to be a part of the long-distance journey. Anybody here tonight ready to just give up on the journey? Anybody? I I guess it could be group confession time. It'd be okay. My hunch is this is like family hour at Grace Point. This is like the cream of the crop coming together. And and if you're here on a Sunday night, most likely you are pressing in. You're already on this race. You go, yeah, I'm here to endure. But let's remind ourselves, sometimes we know this here, but when we come across an obstacle in life, it begins to shake us. Even though we've seen his faithfulness over and over again, we begin to get this idea that this is just a short race or or that this shouldn't happen in our life. But we're going to begin to see that all throughout Christ's followers' existence There is opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to depend on Jesus. The first thought I want us to catch in Acts chapter 13 that we're going to get to in the text here in just a second. This first key principle is to stay the course. You and I must start right. Where do we get this? Look at Acts chapter 13 verse 2. While they were worshiping, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul For the work which I have called them. These men began their missionary journey with a clear calling from God. It wasn't something that they drummed up. It wasn't just their idea. It wasn't something that they campaigned for or interviewed for. It was what God had called them to. They were set apart by the Holy Spirit. You'll never be able to stay the course to finish well this race of following Jesus unless you are set apart, unless you are sanctified by God. It's not just for pastors, it's not just for missionaries, it's not just for for saints like Arbutus, it's for every believer that we need to have a calling to be the set-apart ones for God. Make sure that the race, that the course you're on is one that God has set you to. I told you a little bit this morning about the dangers of following the wrong people and getting off on the wrong course. How do you know that you are on the right course? How do you know that you are being set apart for God to do this particular mission? Here's one way to think of it. If your motivation for running this race of following Jesus is based upon what is best for God, what is best for his kingdom, you can count on the strength of God to sustain you and his spirit to guide you. But if your motivation for running this Christian race is based upon what is best for you or what is best for your interest, your prayers will bounce off the ceiling and your strength will fail every time. There has to be a sense that God has called you in your life. We are the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. It is not just up to you and me to decide this is why I exist. Sometimes we, we, we talk about our hobbies, our interests, or our passions, or things we enjoy as 
reasons why we exist. And I think I know what we, we mean, but be careful with that. I don't exist to pedal a bicycle. I like to pedal a bicycle. I don't exist to pedal a bicycle. I don't exist to love my wife. That's way more important to me than pedaling a bicycle. I exist to glorify God. I exist to be about his work and his business. And every Christ follower exists for a purpose. And until we start with that in mind, unless we start right, we can never ever finish right. Is there a sense of God's calling in your life? Do you need a rekindling of your calling? My hunch is that many of us have felt God's calling in one particular area or one particular season of our life. I'm suggesting tonight that as we finish strong, as we, we endure this race, we need to be reminded, we need to have it cultivated again, this calling that God has, has brought into your life. You're not just stuck in a season. You're not just kind of spinning your wheels. God has a particular plan. I heard a preacher this week talk about God in his omniscient, all-knowing power. He knows everything that's possible to know. And the plan he set forth for you is his perfect plan. He's gone through all the potential outcomes, all the potential plans, and he's chosen this plan as the best for you to fulfill your purpose. And if we trust God in that, there can be a sense of calling and oughtness. Look at verse 3. Notice what's happening here. So after they had prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, so there is these two that are set apart for this missionary work, and then they place their hands on them and send them off. Let's drop this down if you're taking notes. They were supported by the church. This placing on of hands, it's, it's much more than a ritual. It's more than something symbolic. It's, it's an endorsement of total support. When there is a laying on of hands, it's like a sharing of life. And my hopes become your hopes. And my hurts become your hurts. My victory becomes your victory. My joy becomes your joy. They were bound together in Christ, and they were connected in the Spirit, even though physically they were separated. You'll never be able to make it through the rough times unless you have the support of the body of believers. I don't think you'd be here on a Sunday night if you didn't believe that to some degree. You feel like there's some value in meeting together, not give up on the habit of meeting together like some are, are in the habit of doing. It's not about a legalism of how many times or what place or what location or those things, but there is a benefit. There is a blessing to gathering together. There's a support from the body that helps us finish well. Maybe we just need to remind ourselves, why am I here on a Sunday night at 6 o'clock? Why do I feel this need to be a part of the body of believers and be consistent in, in my attendance and my service and my worship? Because there is a support that happens that helps us finish strong. And I can encourage someone else to finish strong. You see, you and I need the church more than the church needs us. Some of us need to be reminded of that. You and I need this. Paul and Barnabas knew this well. They were committed to God's will. They were set apart by the Holy Spirit. They knew that to finish strong, they would need the support of other fellow Christians. They traveled by foot from Antioch to the coastal city of Seleucia and set sail for the island of Cyprus. It's here that I believe they encountered one of their first obstacles on this particular journey that is not just true for them, but it's also true and symbolic for us of many obstacles we face in our marathon of the Christian race. And to stay the course, you and I must resist temptation. We're going to see how they resisted temptation. Look at verse 4. The two of them 
sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. Cyprus means Happy Isle. It was named so because of its lovely climate and easygoing lifestyle. It was just kind of a, a city of, of fun and, and doing whatever you would like. Cyprus was under the rule of Rome at this time, and, and the Romans came with their, their gods and their idols, and, and Venus and Aphrodite were a part of that. And there was this synonymous atmosphere of sensuality and immorality and, and the vices that would come along with that. And Cyprus became known as like the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire. It was the place where you could go and just do whatever you felt like doing. And no doubt, if they would have had the advertising slogan, they would have said, what happens in Cyprus stays in Cyprus, or they so thought or hoped or wished that it could take place. It was a place where every evil was running amok. When Paul and Barnabas arrived on this island, they were immersed in a culture of sensuality and immorality. It's interesting to me that the names are different. Some of them are hard for me to pronounce. Sometimes jogs my memory to find them on a map, but the description seems very familiar. Uh, the challenges are very familiar to what we face today. Let's note one more important help we can find from Paul and Barnabas in verse 5. When they arrived at Salimus, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. You see here, we begin to catch another key truth in helping us stay focused and and to endure this race to finish well they stayed focused on the word of god in the midst of temptation in the midst of all the things around us when we get our eyes fixed on god's word it's much easier to stray or to not stray away it's much easier to fight through temptation we know that we are to focus on god's word but do we remind ourselves i can't finish strong unless i stay focused on god's word one of the uh, dear friends here at Grace Point is Jim Hunt. You know Jim Hunt. He's on loan today to another church. I said, just remember, you're on loan. We can't let you go forever, but you're on loan. I was talking with someone today that was asking about Jim Hunt, and they said, is Jim Hunt still part of this church? I said, oh, yes, he's a- away today, and, and he was an old friend of Jim, and, and we were reflecting and reminiscing on the uniqueness of how God made Jim. And one of the things I love about Jim is he is just so saturated and full of God's word. Now, if you ask Jim to quote scripture, you need to be careful because he may just quote the whole Bible to you. You need to just like pick a short book of the Bible so it didn't take forever, but he's just filled with God's word. But one of the things I love about Jim, he didn't just memorize God's word once, he continues to read it. And when I'm in a Bible study with Jim, he'll read it and go, oh, I, I don't know if I've, I've seen that before. There's a, there's a fixation on God's word, and you know people like that. You most likely have that attitude in your heart, and so why do we do that? We finish strong when we stay focused in on God's Word. It keeps us in the place where God can use us. They stay focused on the Word of God. To stay the course, you and I must overcome spiritual warfare. Look at verse 6 with me. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Pathos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bargesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. This guy's real name was Ilamus, which means skillful one. And, and skillful he was. He, he proclaimed himself to be Bar-Jesus, or son of Jesus, claiming to be a prophet of God, but in fact he was a sorcerer, pandering and practicing in the black arts of satanic activity. 
Paul and Barnabas saw through this deception. But we need to see what they acknowledged. They acknowledged the demonic deception. They didn't try to dismiss it. They didn't try to reason it away. They called it what it was. You see, Satan has nothing of his own. He can only take what God has made and pervert it and distort it for his destructive purposes. And you and I are surrounded by similar demonic activity today. To ignore it, to rationalize it away, is to play right into Satan's hand and to to say, well, there is really no force against me. Now, I'm not saying that we should look for a demon under every rock. I'm not trying to say that we're to blame the devil for everything. This morning we talked about we need to confess our sin, not blame it on someone else or rationalize it away. We're not to look for a demon under every rock, but to deny that we are fighting against principalities that's not of this world, that there is demonic activity, is missing what God's word clearly teaches. You see, whether we realize it or not, we're faced with similar demonic activity today. There are lies the enemy feeds to us. They may sound right, but they're contrary to God's word. Elimus projected himself to be a prophet of God, to be the son of Jesus. But Paul and Barnabas held him up to the spotlight of God's word and exposed him for what they really saw. He was an instrument of Satan. Look at verse 7 and 8 with me. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Not only did they acknowledge the demonic deception, and they called it out for what it was, they encountered the demonic resistance. Notice that Paul and Barnabas, they didn't go looking for a fight, but as they were about the mission that God had put them on, the fight came to them. The application for us can be clear tonight. Don't become so preoccupied with the demonic that you're looking for it everywhere, but keep your focus on Christ. But be prepared when there is demonic resistance coming against you. I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm not trying to to be extra mystical tonight, but I want us to be clear. We need to be prepared to fight the spiritual warfare fight that is before us if we're going to finish strong. If you and I think that we're going to finish this race strong with never ever uh, encountering the enemy, we're kidding ourselves. Mrs. Taylor didn't quite make it to 102 years of age, but she was in her 90s, and I remember talking to her about what it meant for her to run the race. She talked about the temptation that was so strong for her in her 90s that she had never faced in any other period of her life. It was perplexing to me. I began to think that The enemy would love to get us to think that we could follow Jesus for so long, for so many decades, to string together one good action after another, after another, after another, we'd pretty soon say, you know, that's just for a baby Christian. I don't need to worry about fighting against the enemy. Friend, we need to be prepared. How were they prepared? Let's look at what happened. Let's see how they were prepared. Notice how Paul overcomes this demonic presence. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Paul appropriated the power of the Holy Spirit that was in his life. Don't try to address the demonic attacks, the enemy, unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It makes me nervous when we talk about giving Satan a black eye. Friend, you and I are no match for Satan. Be careful when you say, well, I'm just going to give Satan what for. I only have the power against Satan because greater is he, Jesus, that lives in me than he that's in the world. And it's not like, you know, Satan and I are on the same level level. 
But, friends, Jesus and Satan aren't on the same level either. It's not like the good versus the bad. I guess if you want to have a, a counterpart to Satan, it would be Michael the archangel. He's a fallen angel. And Jesus is so far greater than Satan. Satan is no match for Jesus. But, friend, you and I are no match for Satan. And, and our strength comes when we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can claim greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Ilamas. Paul confronted with faith and confidence. He had confidence in the Holy Spirit in him, and he confronted right away with strength. If you want to finish strong, if we want to make it through this marathon of following Jesus, there's going to be a time when you and I have to resist the enemy. And Scripture says when we resist him in the name of Jesus, he must flee. Paul was not threatened or intimidated by this sorcerer. Because he knew the one that was living in him was greater than the one who was attacking him. One of the most effective methods in in dealing with the enemy attacking is to look that situation, look that spirit right in the eye, and in the name of Jesus, speak truth to it. Verse 9 and 10. Here's what Saul, known as Paul, also says. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You were full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? He was pretty direct. I don't know how much more direct you could be. He got right to the bottom line. When you're dealing with spiritual warfare, trying to reason, trying to counsel, trying to barter never works. We have to use the truth and speak directly to it. We must confront the enemy. Bring light to that deception. Then Paul spoke with truth and clarity. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. When we speak with truth and clarity, there's power that comes. Speaking the word of the Lord, not speaking our own words. One of my mentors who I'm trying to glean from is he's talking to me and teaching me what the Lord has taught him about preaching in Dr. Kinlaw, and one of my favorite things he said is, hey, we need to have good illustrations, we need to have good on-ramps for people to, to understand what we're talking about, but let's not mistake the power of God's Word. Sometimes we can begin to think that what I say or what I think or how I describe it is as powerful as God's Word, and if I'm going to finish the race strong, if you and I are going to finish strong, it's not just coming up with good, cute sayings to help us get through the day, it's resting on the power of speaking God's Word. About six or seven years ago, I came under great conviction as I heard now a friend of mine preach who was just so saturated and full of the Word of God. And I felt the Lord say to me, Brady, who is it in your circle of influence that has a hunger for the Word of God by your speech pattern? And my thought was, well, Jesus, I preach all the time. I talk about the Bible all the time. Probably everybody. And the Lord just whispered to me and said, that's not what I asked you. By your speech pattern, who has a hunger to read God's word more. As I was around this now friend and hearing him talk, just as scripture would ooze out of his vocabulary, it made me want to go grab my Bible and read it and explore it more. And when we begin to speak God's word, there is power and truth there. And it was something key for, for Paul and for Barnabas to complete their journey. He spoke with truth and clarity. He also said, you are going to be blind, saying this to this man. For a time, you will be unable to see the light. Interesting to me that Elimus had been, in fact, a blind guide to these people. 
God now literally blinds him to illustrate the fact that those who are watching the scene can now see this powerful witness where Jesus is saying what Satan has intended to bring destruction, he's turned it upside down, and now he is defeating the enemy by blinding the one who was a blind guide. Paul could speak with confidence because he spoke with divine authority, with truth, with God's word. Notice the result of this warfare encounter. Look at verse 11. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. I think that this response of Sergius Paulus is significant. Verse 12 says, When the proconsul saw that he, what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. He didn't say he was amazed at seeing this man blinded. He wasn't amazed that the miraculous took place. He was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. See, the power of God only confirms the word of God. If we're going to finish strong, we need to understand that it's not this sign and wonder that I should fixate on. It's the God of the signs and wonders. It's not just this spiritual goosebump or experience that I should crave and seek to give me energy to finish this race strong, but it's my attention to the one who is the king of the sign and the wonder. This power of God is to confirm the word of God. Once Satan's deception is exposed by the power of God's word, then the salvation message could be received. You see, Paul's confrontation of Elimus was not primarily to remove an obstacle from the path of their journey, but it was so that the people might be saved. Now, don't miss this. You're listening well. My talker is tired, so I'm not as clear as I want to be, but you're listening well, so help me talk more clearly. Don't miss this. This great over arching purpose of God is not to make you and I comfortable in this lifelong journey. God cares for you. He's concerned about you and me. But he is far more concerned about reaching lost people and restoring them to him. So these obstacles that we face, sometimes we pray, God, take it away. Would you get this obstacle out of the way? And and it's understandable why we do this, but our response should be, Lord, would you give me strength to get through, to get over this obstacle? You know what I need, Lord. Would you give me enough strength that I could bring glory to your name and that I may be able to bring people to you, Jesus? See, we talked this morning about a, a, a true Christian is a Christ follower. To be a Christian means to be a follower of Jesus. And then we touched just a little bit on, if I'm a follower of Jesus, you and I must be fishers of men. Calls us to reach people. This is not for those who just have a spiritual gift of evangelism. This is not those who make their profession as being a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary. Every Christian has been given a mission to reach people for Jesus. Here's why I think this falls apart for so many people. They quit on the race. They, they don't finish well. And they, they lose the race spiritually. Because they begin to think that serving God is just to get them out of hell and then keep them comfortable. To get them out of hell and then to give them what they want. To get them out of hell and not freak them out too much. But friends, you and I are part of God's call. And his goal to give us strength is not just to make me comfortable but to get me through the obstacle, to get you through the obstacle, and bring people to Jesus. So defeating this guy who was pretending to be a son of Jesus, bar Jesus, Elimus, 
It wasn't just to get this obstacle out of the way so they can go about their mission. No, it was so that people could hear the message. And once he was dealt with, people came to know the Lord. There's power there. We begin to see that this is, again, not something we do on our own, but there's power to go to Jesus with our brothers and sisters. Matthew 18, 19 says, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. There is a power that can come when we begin to call on the name of the Lord for his purposes, not for ours, when we unite together. As we kind of see the conclusion to all this, let's begin to see this final obstacle. To stay the course, you and I must endure exhausting conditions. This final obstacle Luke talks about, he gives us a lot of information by some of the things he leaves out, not just what he says. They left Cyprus and they sailed along the, this journey of this treacherous body of water along the, the coastal region there. And they, they came up to this place of Pamphylia, which was fraught with disease. Many think that malaria was taking place there. And many scholars think that it could be very possible that Paul became ill during this time. And he may have had this chronic thorn of the flesh that we read about later as an illness that he got here. This missionary journey turned out to be rougher than anybody thought. It was physically demanding. It was psychologically stressful. It was spiritually exhausting. And so we begin to see a, a truth here. To stay the course, to finish well, we must endure exhausting conditions. So much so it was exhausting that not everybody who was a part of their camp made it to the end. Look at verse 13. From Pathos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, this was not a, a quiet, agreeable situation where John Mark got their blessing and just left. No, it was disagreeable. In fact, later on, Paul in chapter 15, verse 38, calls his departure a desertion. This was a really tough time for them. But notice with me that Paul, in the difficult moments, it only made him stronger. It didn't defeat him. You can't be living this Christian journey long enough until you acknowledge that there are obstacles. Until you acknowledge that there is exhaustion that takes place. Friend, if you find yourself in a season of exhaustion, I want you to know that God cares about you, but don't give up. I want you to know that God has a plan for you, but don't waver or cave into the thought that, well, I'm doing something wrong, or, or God is, is leaving me. He will give us strength, and he will make us stronger in the midst of these obstacles. We've seen that there's, there's no accomplishment without determination. We've seen in this passage that there is no burden too heavy for Christ to carry. There is no sustaining power except through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Brady, I'm trying to listen well. What is the takeaway that you're suggesting for me tonight? Friend, God has called us to the marathon of following Jesus. He's called us to stay the course through our whole life. And for us to do that, we need to start right. We need to resist temptation. We need to overcome the spiritual warfare that we will be in. And we need to understand that we are called to endure exhaustion. And it happens through the power of His Spirit. It happens by staying focused on His Word. It happens by resisting the enemy through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it happens by pressing into the brothers and sisters that God has given to us in the body of Christ. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friends who've given good attention to your word tonight. Lord, I ask that you will honor their obedience and their attention to your word in a way that will bring a richness of fresh manna in their heart tonight. Lord, as I think of the life of Arbutus Zimmerman, as we celebrated her homegoing with you this last week, not just her faithfulness to you, but Lord, probably more aptly put, your faithfulness to her. As I think of people in this room who have given a very public and clear testimony to your faithfulness in their life through not just the good seasons, but through the challenging seasons. Lord, it encourages my heart that you have not called us to a 50-yard dash. You've called us to a marathon of obedience. Not one where we just grin and bear it and make it somehow, but one that we have victory, one that we can have joy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would realign our eyes tonight, remind us tonight, that you are not done with us. I pray that you will encourage your saints here tonight to remind them that you have a plan, a purpose, a mission for them. They have started well. The enemy is no less interested in distracting, dividing, discouraging and defeating them now than he ever has been. Lord, may you call us to press into you and begin to see that when we find moments when we're tired, find moments when, when we're discouraged, find moments when things aren't going the way we want, to know that you have a broader and a bigger plan for our life. It's to glorify you and to bring others to you. So, Lord, I thank you for those examples in our circle of influence that we can see this kind of a running of a race. Lord, would you give us the endurance, the strength, the boldness to be faithful in following you to the very end. In your son's name we pray. Amen and amen. As I share this message tonight, it kind of reminds me of what happens in physical training. You just finished a 50-mile bicycle course. You didn't even sign up for it. You didn't know it. Sometimes our legs hurt and we go, oh, I like the slow family ride of about 10 miles. But you are not green. You are not new to the things of the Lord. And I believe God wants to stretch us again. I challenge you this week. When you see an obstacle come across your path, ask the Lord, Lord, how can I be faithful in this obstacle? How can I point people to you through this obstacle? How could you be glorified through this obstacle? It brings joy to this journey that he has us on. What was the line that we just sang, Pastor Edgar? What do I care if I have a tent for a cottage? There's a palace being built for me in eternity. This life is so short. Even if it's 102 years. The next life is so long. What if we would do things in this life that would matter in the next life? And stop worrying about things in this life that have no Variance on what happens in the next. May God bless you.